You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. CISA claims no credible threats to yesterday's U.S. elections. Criminals seek to profit from the .ai top-level domain. A Singapore resort sustains a cyber attack. A look ahead at holiday cyber threats. A major Chinese cyber espionage effort against Cambodia. The four cyber phases of a hybrid war. Robert M. Lee from Dragos explains how outside forces affect OT and critical infrastructure security. Our guest is Dan Nault from Imperva, sharing how organizations may be behind the eight ball when relying on real-time analytics and cyber and electronic threats to space systems. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. We begin with a quick word about yesterday's U.S. off-year elections. CISA said yesterday that we continue to see no specific or credible threats to election infrastructure. So the cyber threats against which election authorities prepared the voting seem to have, for the most part, been no-shows. Cyber criminals are increasingly registering .ai domains for use in phishing attacks, researchers at Netcraft warn. .ai is the country code top-level domain for the British Overseas Territory of Anguilla and is used by many legitimate companies associated with AI technology. Malicious use of the domain has spiked following the release of ChatGPT and other AI tools over the past year. The researchers say it's worth noting that .ai domains are much more expensive than other domains. A .ai domain costs around $60.00 compared to $10 for a .zip domain or a .com. We suspect that criminals believe that the implied legitimacy of .ai domains is worth the extra cost, as there is a notable proportion of purpose-registered .ai sites, particularly for cryptocurrency investment scams. Singapore's Marina Bay Sands Resort has disclosed a data breach that affected the personal information of 665,000 customers, CNA reports. The breach data belonged to non-casino rewards program members, 
and included names, email addresses, mobile phone numbers, phone numbers, countries of residence, and membership numbers and tiers. The incident occurred on October 19th and 20th of 2023. The company said in a statement, We will be reaching out to SANS Lifestyle Loyalty Program members and sincerely apologize for the inconvenience caused by this incident. We have reported it to the relevant authorities in Singapore and other countries where applicable and are working with them in their inquiries into the issue. The incident has attracted notice because of the obvious comparison it bears to October's breaches at MGM Resorts and Caesars Entertainment. The obvious dissimilarity is that the attack on Marina Bay Sands apparently affected the non-casino side of the business. We don't want to contribute to holiday creep, but it's actually probably worth thinking in advance about the risks that Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, and the New Year will present those who do business online. Yesterday, the RHISAC issued its 2023 holiday season cyber threat trends report. The report outlines the threat landscape for the retail and hospitality sectors during the holiday season, which is typically the busiest time of the year for consumer-facing industries. Credential harvesting, phishing, and imposter domains are expected to be the most common criminal tactics in cyberspace. RHISAC members report increased attention to the details of specific threats, closer engagement with customer service, and increased cooperation with other organizations in the sector as they prepare for the holiday season. They're seeing an increase in imposter websites, and they see smaller, scrappier criminal attempts as threat actors cope with defenses that have grown more alert and resourceful. We'll be hearing more from our colleagues at RHISAC in future podcasts. Palo Alto Networks Unit 42 has found two major Chinese APTs engaged in cyber espionage against Cambodia. They've hit at least 20 government and industry organizations in that country in what appears to be a long-term collection effort. Cambodia and China enjoy generally good diplomatic and economic relations, but that's irrelevant to China's choice of targets. Beijing's long-range goal is an enhanced naval presence in the waters off Southeast Asia, and the intelligence being gathered is designed to support that end. Friendly or not, Beijing wants those Cambodian port facilities. Analysts at Forcepoint, looking at both Russia's war against Ukraine and the war unleashed by Hamas's assault on Israel, concluded that cyber operations in any hybrid war are likely to fall into four conceptually distinct, albeit temporally overlapping, phases. They describe phase one as an increase in scale and impact of attacks. In this initial phase, attacks increase in scope, evolving from hashtags to defacements to DDoS attacks. Phase 2 is expanded targeting and more sophisticated attacks, including the emergence of state-linked proxy cyber threat actors who typically bring about more sophisticated targeting strategies, including cyber terrorism. Phase 3 includes ransomware operations and false flags, where ransomware groups and deceptive tactics become part of the cyber landscape, impacting virtual and physical infrastructures, as well as public perception. Phase 4 includes coordination with kinetic operations, impacting not only virtual but also physical aspects of the armed conflict. Of these four phases, the fourth has been least in evidence in both of the present wars. Wiper attacks have represented the closest approach to effective targeting coordinated with operations on the ground. 
Among these, only the Russian attacks on Viasat networks in the opening hours of the invasion have had tactical effect, and even that effect was short-lived. Far more prominent have been the other three phases, and it's noteworthy that all of these involve deniable auxiliaries, false flag operations, privateering, and co-opted criminal activity. None of these lend themselves to the sort of combined arms coordination historically seen with traditional electronic warfare. The U.S. Space Force sees the cybersecurity of space systems as crucial to mission capability. Via satellite, quotes Colonel Richard Nicely, senior material leader of the Space Force's Commercial Space Office, as saying, The U.S. and our allied forces must now contend with growing threats from satellite link interceptions. It's interesting that he sees the threat as representing a convergence of both electronic and cyber attacks. He states, This results from advanced jamming techniques and illegal satellite uplinks. Our operations are hindered by compromised communication integrity and potential data breaches. So, that convergence of electronic and cyber attack can be expected to continue. Coming up after the break, Robert M. Lee from Dragos explains how outside forces affect OT and critical infrastructure security. Our guest is Dan Nault from Imperva, sharing how organizations are behind the eight ball when relying on real-time analytics. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Dan Nault is Senior Vice President and General Manager of Data Security at Imperva. I spoke with him about the challenges facing organizations when it comes to real-time analytics, 
and the potential advantages of predictive analytics. In today's threat environment, a real-time alert to something that seems to be malicious, well, that isn't enough, and real-time isn't even fast enough. And, And the trick here is that by the time something that is seemingly malicious is detected and a real-time alert is triggered, the attack is likely happening, the barn door is open. And that puts security teams in a reactive position, scrambling to validate it, and then scrambling to contain the attack. So while having real-time information is important, I guess I'm going to say necessary, it's probably not sufficient. You can't rely on reactive technology when you want to stop these advanced attackers. Instead, teams need to focus on predictive analytics that can ID the attackers before they get to the data and and, and stop the incident before it even happens. Well, help me understand here. When you say predictive, are are we searching for potential vulnerabilities here? What exactly is going on? Well, these activities that will happen They're not mysterious in the sense that cybercriminals today will come in, they'll disguise their signatures, they'll make it harder to identify what's happening, and then you have very limited time to react. And in the past, you might have had days or weeks, now you might have minutes. The time to respond to one of these attacks is measured now maybe in minutes. And in the past, it might have been days or weeks. And you have limited time before it's just really too late to do anything, and then it's all mopping up. And there might even be a real-time alert, but somebody's looking at it. But what's possible now using modern technology is, is to be proactive and predictive. And, you know, in the olden days, like 10 years ago, you might have just used algorithms to take a look at things. But... The modern way to do it is is machine learning, the part of artificial intelligence that's machine learning. So from a practical point of view, what does this mean to an organization? You know, for the folks who are responsible for security, how does this change their day-to-day? Let me give an example uh, in the form of a metaphor, and then I'll come back to how it can change the day-to-day. Visualize this like you would physical security. Let's pretend you're a bank. And let's say you have cameras in the back focused on the safe or the back office. Well, they might catch an intruder if you only have cameras there. That's a problem. But if you have cameras elsewhere, you'd see them sooner. If you had cameras, you could see them wandering around saying, hey, that person's doing a behavior that looks a little different. I haven't seen that behavior before, or I have seen that kind of behavior, and I know what it means. You might be able to look at them before they even enter the building and say, you know, you know, something doesn't look right there. Now, stepping away from the metaphor, in today's world, data is king. And especially as the cost of storage goes way down, businesses are keeping more and more around. So using the physical security metaphor, you can't put cameras everywhere that you should. With all of this data being generated, it's impractical to do the discovery and classification on a subset of it instead of looking at all of the data. And what I mean by that is, if you consider protecting your valuable data from your invention, from your planning, your execution, you can monitor all of that data, 
using machine learning that looks at the monitors of all that data and then say, huh, I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen that kind of an activity on the data. And the sheer fact that it's different enough allows you, first of all, to baseline against a trained model that's established by other companies. But you can also just look at your own trained data. You can say, I've never had someone in that department do that kind of a search. I've never seen a search like that. And all of this happens well before any action would happen. So think of it as the camera outside the building or the camera in the lobby, not the camera on the safe. So what are your recommendations then? I mean, for organizations who are intrigued by this and and want to see if it's a good match for them, what's the, the best pathway? Well, what I would encourage organizations to do is to change the way they think about data protection. Rather than just look at the small subset of high-value known business-critical data, use AI and specifically machine learning tools to monitor user and app activity across the entire data environment. ML is ideal, so we're fortunate to have it because it's all but limitless in scale. It doesn't get fatigued or distracted and always gets smarter. Because then it can establish a baseline of normal activity and at the same time, highlight anything that goes outside that for high judgment people to take a look at. Because in this way, we can have people do what people do best, design these systems, and then be high judgment looking at the alerts, and then have the computers take a look statistically about, huh, this is different. Not quite sure why this is different, but it's different. Human, go take a look at it and tell me if there's something going on before the breach ever happens or before the access even happens. That's Dan Nault from Imperva. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Rob, I have been seeing a lot of these news stories about record-breaking heat waves, and that brought to mind the question of how that affects folks in the critical infrastructure world when you have these outside forces, and perhaps to a degree that they have not seen these sorts of outside forces. How does that affect an approach to security? To a massive level, it impacts the facilities and those companies. I'll kind of weave it into security, but, but even before we talk about security, when you have extreme weather events, extreme cold or extreme hot, especially if it's continual for any amount of time, your operating parameters change. And those operating parameters can mean everything from I can no longer operate. Like maybe I've got, you know, what we saw in Texas where there's certain facilities where it was so cold that they basically froze portions of their um, generating capability or couldn't do like wind and solar to be able to generate the electricity that they needed for the grid there. Or I might have such high heat that technically I could operate the gas turbine as an example, but the heat exchange is going to be so insane that the price to actually operate it is is just cost prohibitive of Mm. I'm no longer efficiently generating electricity there. Then you take it into other sectors. If it is so hot that 
the trucks can't get into the manufacturing bay or sit there on the tarmac of sorts, you know, the the pavement very long because then the tires start melting against, you know, like it's just mm. anything you can think of from logistics to generating electricity to the change of the physical environment has on the physics for how we're doing wastewater treatment facilities or the rate that a product will move through a pipeline. Like all of these things can have um, huge impacts. And our asset owners and operators are very good about operating through weather events that they've been able to plan for, but ones that they're either not able to plan for or not allowed to resource against because it's such a far off issue, then we shouldn't be surprised when our infrastructure sort of hits challenges. I think that's some of the irony about the Texas incident and the cold weather event they had in Ericot and all that. There was some of those utilities that went to the Public Utilities Commission years before that and said, hey, we really need to winterize our generation equipment. And the Public Utility Commission was like, what are you talking about? It's Texas. It's warm, baby. Woo! And <laughs> right, right. the utility's like, dude, look at like the NERC weather forecasting guidance. Look at like what the DOE is saying. Like, we could start having any of these extreme weather events and we need to take care of this. And they looked at it, I was like, that's too expensive. It'll raise the rates of the utilities uh, bill. And people generally don't like to do that. And so they said that you're being silly. Let's not worry about it. And then it happens. And they were like, oh, electric utilities, how could you let us down? And it's like, they literally are publicly <laughs> regulated, man. Like they can't do what they're, yeah. So anyways, it's just a complex. And I'm not saying everybody was like that, but there's definitely examples of it. So long story short, Weather events can impact more often, anyways, our electric system and manufacturing environments and everything than, than anything else. Um, and these extreme weather events are hard to plan for. I mean, it will ultimately mean making things much more costly. I mean, even just weather events in terms of having more fires. Now you're talking about fires in California and elsewhere where that impacts the transmission lines. Or maybe you can't run that transmission line now because it's right in the middle of a, a forest fire. Mm-hmm. So huge impacts. Now the security tie-in, I mean, anytime you've got an operating window or anytime you've got an already overtaxed system, any additional complexities, downtime, et cetera, just exacerbates the issues. And in some cases may not even be recoverable in the ways that we want to. So I don't think that there's a bad guy strike more when there's heat. You know, I don't think there's like Mm -hmm. a direct security tie-in of sorts, but I think it just elevates the necessity of security on these operational environments, especially that if we're already constrained, the last thing we need is additional disruption. How do we encourage a culture of being proactive rather than reactive? Resourcing and requirements. Outside of my role at Dragos, not affiliated, whatever else, not a paid position, all sorts of legal language. I sit as the vice chair of Grid and Resilience National Security Committee on the Electric Advisory Committee. So technically, I'm a DOE government employee, kind of in an advisory position. And what's been interesting to me, and not speaking on behalf of the DOE at all here, but what's been interesting to me, and it makes sense, but in all these meetings, they'll be, we need this, and we need that, and we need to modernize the grid, and we want green energy everywhere, and we want this and that, and weather events, and resilience against this, and resilience against that. And like, if you go and bring in the utilities, they'll all go, yeah, we agree. We've been saying the same thing. But the question is, who's paying for it? And what are your priorities? What are the requirements you want? Okay, well, we want more green energy. Cool. We're also going to need transmission right-of-ways then to actually be able to connect all this stuff up. Ooh, yeah, no, uh, that's a messy business building new transmission lines. And we need 20 or 30 years to do that. But you need to be mostly transferred over to green energy next year. It's like, I just told you I'd be willing to do it, but I need this to make it happen. And I think 
I think people misunderstand how often that happens. And I like our policymakers and government officials, and many of them doing a phenomenal job, but it's so easy to throw the asset owners and operators on the bus when most of the time it's government's just got to set requirements and talk about where it's getting resourced. I think Mark Gabriel came to uh, the SANS ICS summit and gave the keynote. He's the CEO of United Power. He was the CEO of WAPA before that, a huge transmission uh, government-owned company. One of the more experienced kind of electric utility guys um, in that leadership level. And like his quote, I just, oh God, it was phenomenal. And he's like, look, the power, like electric power is governed by the laws of man, but electrons are governed by the laws of physics. And those two things don't often meet. And I, I think that's where people are really, really confused. Why can't we be more proactive? We, we want to be. The industry would love to be proactive on these topics. That, that industry executive at that electric company is going to be there longer than the politician talking about it. Promise you. They want to do it. They live and work in the communities they serve. But who is paying for it? Who's allowing it? Because a lot of times, especially in industrial projects, it's heavily regulated. And what are your actual requirements and priorities so we can focus on the ones that you actually really want? And I, I find that that is, uh, yeah, constantly headbanging against the desk kind of conversations. Hmm. All right. Well, interesting insights. Robert M. Lee is CEO at Dragos. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you. 
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 